This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. And the Buddhists would say, even though they use the deities, that they're empty. And that right. the deity and the perceiver of the deity co-arise uh, in, in an interesting way. So, are you a theist or a non-theist, would you say? Um, I definitely love God. And okay. That, that, you know, that that's my, uh, anything, <laughs> <laughs> that's my stance. <laughs> that's my, that's the party. Um, and everything that I'm trying to do is hopefully bringing me a more of an awareness to be able to love God. And by loving God, I mean by loving the self and loving everything that you come into contact and being able to see the divine in all things through undifferentiated light. Now, when you get into undifferentiated light, then you get into no right or wrong. Now, now you're into almost a non-theistic thing, you know? So you're into consciousness. And that, to me, that's what Shiva, the true meaning of Shiva is the consciousness of infinite goodness. The consciousness of infinite goodness. The consciousness of infinite goodness. Wherever you are listening right now in time and space, I encourage you to take a moment, touch your heart, straighten your back, take a nice deep breath, and just say that to yourself or out loud a couple times. The consciousness of infinite goodness. Welcome, friends. Welcome to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. My name is Michael, your host and monologist. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And I am particularly excited to share this conversation with you with David and our guest, tattoo artist, painter, business proprietor, and Dharma practitioner, Robert Ryan. Robert is an amazing artist who really embodies our primary themes of creativity, spirituality, and right livelihood. Creatively, Robert is a highly regarded tattoo artist who's created a distinct and sought-after style merging the foundations of American tattooing with the style of Indian Kaligat painting. 
an approach to DD depictions done very quickly with simple lines and bold iconic images practiced by artists outside of the Kali Temple in Calcutta. Robert is also a painter who has recently released a beautiful book entitled Deity, featuring many incredible paintings of Hindu deities with Dharma commentaries. You can acquire a copy of Deity, which is a beautifully bound and produced tome at Raking Light Projects. An earlier book of Robert's work, The Inborn Absolute, is currently reissued and available at Featherproof Publishers. For quick sampling of Robert's work, head over to his Instagram, which is full of incredible spiritual tattoos and paintings, at robertryan323. Spiritually, Robert is also a devout practitioner of Sanatana Dharma and practices in the Tantric lineage. You don't often hear the word God, as we did in the intro on a podcast based on Buddha Dharma, so this is a particularly clarifying conversation on the unfolding of Buddhist and Hindu Tantra. And in terms of making a buck, Robert is also a co-owner of Electric Tattoo in Asbury Park, New Jersey, where you can get adorned by him by appointment or try and get a walk-in spot on Saturdays. More info at www.electrictattoonewjersey.com. Okay, that's probably enough table setting, so let's get to the main course. And now we present to you episode number 30 of the CSM podcast, Deity with Robert Ryan. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast. We have special guest Robert Ryan with us today. Uh, Robert is a renowned tattoo artist, uh, and in particular, he often uh, creates tattoo art that's based on Hindu deities. So that's a very unique and original perspective. And um, he just actually tattooed our podkick, Michael Cammers, which is how we were introduced. Um, so first of all, uh, welcome, Robert, and thank you for coming along here. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a real honor to be here. Um, I'm, a f- I'm a big fan of the show and of your writings, and I, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Great. And we'll just kind of allow, those are your dogs from India, did you say? Yeah, they're, they're um, feral dogs from India that I um, adopted a few oh. years ago. And uh, they still, you can't take the, you can take the dog from India, but you can't take the India from the dog sometimes. <laughs> did, <laughs> so did you rescue? a little rowdy. Did you rescue yeah. them? Were they yeah. street, street not, dogs? Not first. They they were street dogs. I didn't personally bring them home, but I I I've adopted them through a rescue program of a woman that lives here in New Jersey, um, who used to work for. I think she worked for the Indian consulate at some time, so she has a lot of connections there. And she kind of flies dogs out of India to here because they just get hit by cars there all the time. You you're you're a sweetheart. It's so obvious. Um, and uh, on behalf of those two beings thank you so much for <laughs> rescuing us <laughs> you know that's really really noble um you know we, we when um when i was introduced to your work from by michael cameras what tattoo did you give him i haven't seen it yet uh i gave him the sword of um uh, manjuri uh-huh. yeah right. uh-huh. and uh uh, it, it's it's being accompanied with a, a skull that's based off the Tanka style painting in Tibet. So uh-huh. it's the sword through the skull with the um, effulgence behind the skull is the rainbow colors. Beautiful. I can't wait to see it. You know, we don't get to see each other these days so much. Uh, Michael and I used to hang out quite a bit in person. 
But I think now that we're talking about it, I don't think I've physically seen him since the pandemic started. It's amazing that we have this like these dual lifestyles now, you know, because we don't see see our friends and loved ones like we used to, but everyone's still living and going through doing amazing things, quite honestly, in in the confines of their own home or in small groups of people. Um, it hasn't, I don't think it's stifled creativity at all. I think it's actually excel- accelerated a lot of creativity, this pandemic. Mm. Well, how, you have to, you don't have a virtual version of your business, do you? There's no such thing, right? No, not at all. And and that be, because of that reason, I was considered an essential worker and I was able to go back to work pretty early. You know, the first thing I thought once wow. the, the shutdown happened, I was like, I'm never going to be able to do this again. You know, when am I going to be able to touch someone again physically? and tattoo them you know um so i just started painting right away as much as i could to kind of stockpile paintings in case that i was going to have to live off that for a long time um but luckily they went they let us back to work pretty early on i think we were only out of work for about three months and is your your workload back to full now are you um it, it fluctuates now with the amount of the way the pandemic goes you know when the numbers were down we kind of open up to more people kind of like what restaurants do. And then when, when it got heavy again, we had to like limit it to like no guests with the person that's getting tattooed. And there's like a whole screening process, you know, with taking people's temperature. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into it with this uh, the new pandemic regulations. Wow. And you're in, you're in Asbury Park, New Jersey, right? Famous place. I am. Home of the boss. Yeah, man. That's like uh, probably... Um, Bruce Springsteen has probably immortalized that place. But before that, for people like me who grew up in New York, it was already famous. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I think it became pretty happening, uh, around the twenties and thirties and stayed popular up until the early eighties. And then it took a real, it, it took a hard hit mm-hmm. and, uh, it, it rebuilt itself or people rebuilt it or it rebuilt itself. However you choose to believe, um, uh, in about 2000, it started, and then now by about 2012, it became back into full swing. And it's on the boardwalk there, isn't it? Right on the on the ocean, coastal New Jersey. Yeah, we're right. I'm I'm about a mile from the ocean right now. Yeah, is that water swimmable these days? Or no, it's cold. <laughs> I mean, uh, as far as cleanliness, yes, but the temperature yeah. is freezing. Yeah. But in the summer, you can go down the boardwalk and jump in the ocean. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Okay, it's amazing. Um. Well, uh, I, I thought it'd be interesting to just tune in a little bit. To, there's two parts to your artwork. One is it's extremely beautiful and articulated. And, um, you know, uh, if, if you didn't know the source code of it, which is a lot of it is based on um, Hindu deities, it would be interesting in and of itself. But are you yourself a practicing, would you call yourself Hindu? Are you, is that your spiritual practice? Yeah, yeah. For all intents and purposes, you know, um, you know, it, it would be considered Hinduism. Uh, it's Sanatana Dharma, you know, where um, the lineage that I follow is actually a Kalu Tantric uh, practice of Shiva and Shakti worship. Um, uh, I, I'm initiated through a guru and I've been with for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I consider myself a, a devotee. Yeah. So, if for those out there who might not be as familiar, if there were a couple of core tenets or premises to your to your tradition, what would they be? Um, uh, it, it's use of 
using ritual and symbolism to express not only the inward journey, but also the outward journey. Um, worship of Shiva and Devi, the goddess, um, through uh, the means of um, uh, Purusha and Prakriti, you know, like um, like consciousness and nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's balancing those two things with the three, just like the show. I was thinking the name of your mm-hmm. show <laughs> is the is the triangle. You know, it's yeah. the three things that you need to um, to be on the spiritual path because you need a goal, you need the means to do it, and then you gain the liberation. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know so you know it's so interesting to um, you know these days all the different traditions, the tributaries stream so together in, in you know in the in the west there's so much access to you know you can look up like all kinds of source code and secret rituals and you know inner teachings and you just go you know if you go up like uh on um google and look for uh Zogchen or something like that it'll give you like yeah. you know sort of core instructions and things like that so the, i have become interested in what i call the united nations of spirituality you know the uh, sure. I, I taught a lot of Kripalu and Omega and places like that. Um, as, as you know, I'm you know a Buddhist teacher, but I'm also uh, the guitar player and record producer for Krishna Das. So um, there was there was a guy named um, Sham Das. I don't know if you ever bumped into Sham, um, mm-hmm. who was a Western you know Bhakti and um, Kirtanwala, and he died on in a in a motorcycle accident in India, but. He was a great and very, uh, very learned, actually, guy. And he used to call me the Shambhala Walla. That was his <laughs> nickname. So, yeah. uh, so, you know, I like to be able to uh, you know, work through with people to get down to the core messaging, the seed syllable, the, the essence of what the teaching might be. Um, and I, I don't make the leap saying, oh, it's all the same. It's all one because we don't know that until we really explore it a little bit more. But so you, you represent a you said there's a trilogy, a trinity, a three, a three-headed uh, godhead, if you will, which was Brahma, right? Vishnu and Shiva and yeah. Shiva. So, um, what do they represent? Just for people who are not familiar, um, Brahma, the creator, represents the creative capacity in each one of us. Vishnu, the sustainer, uh, represents the sustaining force that keeps us living and moving and motivating. And Shiva, the dissolver, represents the energy that uh, ends things in our lives so we can create a new, whether it be our actual life of dying and taking a new birth or going to a loka or becoming liberated or whatever you might believe, um, or just uh, ending something that isn't uh, necessary in your life so you can focus on something that is more important. So it's that 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 aspect. So Shiva, as the way you just described it, is is a destroyer, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it, what you just described sounds like a creator because it's, it's creating creating new space. Exactly, because he he's he's in perfect balance with the other two, you know. So, <laughs> it, and he holds the trident, you know the uh, you know the uh, he's it is a trident, the Trimurti, the three gods. He holds the trident, the Treshul, and that represents the three gunas, which is the um, you know waking, dreaming, sleeping states that we're in every moment of our lives. 
you know? So like, it, it's the balance of the three and it's not linear or anything like that. So to have a beginning, you have to have an end and you have to have a middle too. So, right, right. Uh, you know. So it's, it, it really has the quality of beginning, middle and end. Uh, yeah. Like good, good drama, all good drama has that, right? Of course. Yeah. There's those dogs again. Yeah. Well, we we could look at them as just more phenom- more phenomena arising for our podcast listeners. I don't think we have to worry about it. It's um, so funny when when uh, you said that because when they had yeah. their big outburst before we started, I was like, "Well, this is just going to be part of our sadhana." It is. It is, and <laughs> yes, that yeah. shifts it. You know, there's a Buddhist uh, Lojong slogan that says, "Change your attitude and relax as it is." I don't know if you ever heard that one, but it's, it's really great, strong advice. Um, you know, so. Um, you have a book out which you were kind enough to send to me, and I'm going to just hold it up for so folks can see it. And it's only been out for three months. Called Deity, by yeah. Robert Ryan. And just to you know, uh, some people will be listening on on uh, audio only. But this, if you are looking at the YouTube version of our podcast, this is sort of a sample of the style of art. So maybe you could say something a little bit about the book and what you were trying to communicate with the book. Yeah, so um, the book took me about two years to make. Um, maybe it, even to when I started talking about doing it, it might have been about four years ago. But it, so it took four years to come into fruition. But it took me about two years to do all the paintings and the writing that accompanies the paintings. And uh, my goal for the book was to show people a way of viewing these uh, deities as a aspect of them, their own selves, mm-hmm. almost as a as a mirror, so they they would be able to see themselves in uh, maybe a picture of Ganesh, mm-hmm. you know, um, or maybe not see themselves so much, or just see aspects of their lives in these deities. Mm-hmm. And uh, tr- I tried to create just a like a portal to each one where someone could like maybe uh, bring their their own thoughts towards that thing. Because I was being asked a lot when I was tattooing people. Are there any books for this kind of stuff? And there are. There's great books about it, but there's not many that compile many of them in in that way. You know, uh, I can only think of like maybe two or three, and uh, there's not a lot of explanation in the in those books. So I, I wanted to try to give uh, Westerners explanation, kind of cursory descriptions of the deities and how they might be able to reflect in people's lives. How oh, great and and nicely articulated. Thanks. Very, very clear. Have, yeah, you know, I've had a long time to think about. <laughs> yeah, well, that some people have forever to think about stuff doesn't mean yeah. they can articulate it either. But um, this is—is um, there a digital version of this book? It's hard to imagine a little bit, but is there? There's not. Um, okay. I really wanted to make something like I love albums, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, I haven't been able to make albums in in a long time, so. I wanted to make uh, something in the same realm that can be really felt and experienced, you know? And, and so what would be the easiest way for somebody to get a copy if they wanted to, would it be on Amazon? Um, It's not on Amazon. Uh, I do have a book that will be on Amazon. It's a a book that went out of print that's coming back in a soft cover version, which is called the inborn absolute. This book deity is uh, on a, through a company called raking light projects. And their website is rakinglightprojects.com. And you, if you go to my Instagram, you can find links to the book right there on the my like little homepage or whatever. Yeah. And we'll have it. We'll put it into the uh, liner notes on the podcast too so people can find it. Because I think 
um, you don't see that many things these days that are, that are analog. And, 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 you know, in that realm of like, you know, this is a book that you really, it's big and you want to touch it and look at it uh, and kind of live in it for a little bit. And it really does bring the deities to life. And then you have commentary about them. So I think for, for example, uh, my partner, Monica, and I were just talking about Tripura Sundari just last week, um, which she has a special connection with. You know, Monica teaches uh, Tantra and transformational practices for women. She's a lot of time in Thailand doing that. Um, the beautiful, youthful goddess of the three worlds, the golden glowing queen of the Sri Yantra expression of spiritual discipline and devotion, the cause of health and the aspect of calm. So, um, she's my favorite. I mean, that's, huh? uh, right now, um, cause we're on day seven of, uh, Navaratri spring Navaratri. Okay. Um, we're chanting, we're chanting the Lalita Sahasranam every morning, uh, a guru with a group of us in zoom. And, uh, oh. Trooper Sundari is, is, uh, the one I, she hooked me into it. You know, wow. she's the one that holds me in this. I love, I love her so much. You and know, we're that just, aspect of the goddess. We were just talking about her last week. It's so, it's so, um, uh, there's a lot of, there's something we call tendril in the Buddhist tradition, Tibetan Buddhist tradition. You know the word? Yes. Yeah. 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 I think I may be, I might've heard you talk about it before. I think I've, I know it from, from your, uh, yeah. your discussions, but awesome. it's amazing. I love that concept of it. Yeah, I mean, people use synchronicity, but it's really auspicious coincidence, and and it's also it's also the same word. It's just the way that a chain of causation arises, anyhow, because we think it's random, but it's um, you know everything has cause and conditions, and then comes out of that. Um, uh, unless it doesn't, you know, which is a different kind of aspect of reality that there aren't, you know, the non-causal aspect of it. So it seems to me from hanging out with Ramdas and KD and all those folks for uh, decades now that when you approach the non-causal level, uh, it's described differently. But I, I can't imagine people are talking about two different things at that point because it's beyond con conceptual mind. So right. now you say to somebody beyond conceptual mind, they go beyond conceptual mind. You know, it's just like, how do I put that together? But there's some kind of um, capacity to experience the world in a really direct way that does go beyond the narrative and, and, the, and the historical quality. And so, you know, like Ramdas towards the end of his life, I don't know if you saw him do this, but he would, he would just, he would go, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. And that's sort of pointing towards that space. You know, Buddhists sometimes point that space out kind of fairly sharply, maybe with a little bit of a stun gun kind of approach to, because the conceptual mind will keep trying to wrap itself around it and can't get there. Um, but when you drop, you know, all the baggage, you know, all the formulation and just experience the world directly, uh, it seems like many of the traditions have a, have a potentially similar route in that experience. We, we, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, I think it's just being able to see the world through the heart and not through the mind so much, you know, um, by bridling the mind through the technique of paying attention to your breath or meditation or chanting or um, being awareness in your actions, uh, by narrowing your mind to that kind of focus and attentiveness, 
the heart gets to do more of the viewing. And then, th- and that's when you're really truly experiencing things. And that's when synchronicities become a lot more common. Um, you've been having these synchronicities your entire life. You just weren't aware of them because you're talking yourself out of this stuff all the time through your drama and your mind. <laughs> <laughs> good, good advice out there. Uh, of course, the um, rituals of these different traditions seem to, in my experience, appeal to different people not exactly by personality, but by, you know, sort of uh, just how they put their world together. Like, for example, Zen, you take the Zen tradition, it's very sparse, you mm-hmm. know, it's not, there's not a huge amount of imagery, uh, you're kind of simplifying, reducing, uh, almost in, in a kind of um, deliberate way to, to, to not shut down the sense perceptions, but just elegantize and simplify them. Whereas, for example, when we have these, uh, you know, we've had these um, uh, gatherings in Maui for the last 10 years, twice a year with Ram Das and Krishna Das and various Buddhist teachers. There's always a, a, a really kind of, and the yoga teachers, and it's on the beach and people are hanging out and there's a Tai Chi teacher, you know, just sort of an eclectic gathering. Um, but the um, different rituals that people are attracted to. Uh, seem to mirror something about their persona, their personality. So the, the thing that's interesting in your, about your book, and I'm going to recommend to, to people to, to check it out, is, sorry there. I don't know why this is ringing. Excuse me. So, um, you know, some people are very drawn to, for example, the Hindu deities. They just, they want a tattooed on their body, for example. Yeah. Uh, okay. Or they see that symbolism uh, and, and they're completely magnetized to it, to it immediately. Um, and I've noticed it's almost like somebody going into, you know, those uh, food fairs and there's an Italian thing and a, and a you know, Japanese people just sort yeah. of gravitate towards their thing. And then they find like-minded people there. They usually find teachers that they can connect with and relate to. Um, but what's interesting about those gatherings in Maui, um, you know, is that we have clearly the bhaktis, you know, are kind of the hosts, you know, the the the, the uh, Maharaji, you know, the Neem Karoli Baba gang is is hosting the party. And one time I just said to Ramdas, I said, you, you throw a really good party. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it was, it's very, you know, a lot of their culture is based on feeding people, taking care of people, just being a good host. Um, and, you know, so then then the, you have the Buddhists from the sort of Theravadan and Mahayana traditions. You know, you might have insight meditation or a, or a Zen uh, a teacher. And then you have the tantric Buddhists, like, like myself, who's just, I'm there as a guitar player most of the time, and uh, or Robert Thurman or somebody like that. And, what I found over the years is I had a kinship with the, with the Theravadan and Mahayana Buddhists because we, we emphasize discernment and kind of clarity of mind. That seems to be like the on-ramp for a lot of people into that tradition. And, um, but the devotion element is not really there. It's not, it, you don't advocate devotion in the Buddhist world and surrender until you're really into tantric style of teaching. Even in the Mahayana, the, the, the teacher's, considered to be a spiritual friend, Kalyanamitra. Right? But when you do Tantra and Buddhism, 
there's a guru, you know, and it's like in the West, it's gotten really tangled up because it's not part of our innate culture. And then the, the bhaktis and the Hindus, it's all guru. It's all tantra, actually. Um, yeah. And there's not much of a Hinayana or Mahayana level to it. It's just you die right into the deep end of the pool. So I found myself kinship with the, uh, with the Hindu tantrikas, you know, uh, on that front. And then kinship with the Buddhists as far as the, you know, the, the kind of mindfulness and awareness type of style of practice is going. You, you follow what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. You, Really, Buddhism, tantric Buddhism, really derived from Hinduism. It's just uh, clear as a bell, you know. A hundred percent, and uh, you know the 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 meaning of tantra itself is to weave, you know. So you're weaving all these things together to make, uh, you know, you're using everything you got, mm. and <laughs> and it's be- and it's because uh, you're not you're not so much seeing the world as an illusion. Your mind is the illusion. Yeah, everything that's happening to you is real, and uh, an essence of the divine. You're seeing the divine in all things, and that's tantra, you know. So, wait, uh, I got into. I, I want to jump in there because you just said something really interesting that I want to before the, before the uh, divine element, which is, is a, an, another kind of leap. You said it's not the world that's the illusion; it's the mind that's the illusion. Yeah, the, tell someone who got hit by a truck that 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 wasn't an illusion. You know, but uh-huh. what what got you hit by the truck might be the illusion that you you know you can just walk around in the world like nothing you know like that nothing is by the grace of the divine and I am the creator of all these things and I am the doer you know that that's where the illusion is you know uh, the illusion the illusion falls in our thoughts and I think our thoughts are the things that need to be overcome in this world not so much these out external demons that everyone kind of piles a lot of the problems onto um it, it's it's our thoughts that can really defeat us in the end well interesting you know there there used to be back in the 70s the kind of root of this was my teacher trungpa Rinpoche and ramdas who was i was thinking goodness gracious ramdas coined the meme be here now in the english language that's a very big deal that somebody coined that yeah pith instruction and like actually got a close to a patent on it you know but they used to and they at, at naropa institute when it was just a beginning uh, place in boulder um mm-hmm. one summer rinpoche was in one tent and ramdas was in another tent and then they would have occasional uh, dialogues and one thing that emerged and this is i want to launch us into your your what you're saying about the divine was this notion that Trungpa Rinpoche was very big on, which was non-theism, that Buddhism is non-theistic. Right. And, and so you probably know this, but like in the Buddhist framework, they say there's two extreme beliefs. One is theism and one is nihilism. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Well, what's in the middle? What's neither of those two is the middle way, obviously. But um, so from, from a classical Buddhist perspective, one could interpret the Hindu approach as a theistic approach in other words the the deities are seen to be real substantial uh that they have some uh actual uh, solid existence on some level of reality and um the buddhists would say uh that the even though they use the deities that they're empty and right. that the deity and the perceiver of the deity co-arise uh, in, in an interesting way so are you a theist or a non-theist would you say um i definitely love god and okay. that, that you know that that's my uh 
anything (laughs) that's my stance (laughs) that's my that's the party um and everything that i'm trying to do is is hopefully bringing me uh a more of awareness to be able to love god and by loving god i mean by loving the self and loving everything that you come into contact and being able to um see that the divine in all things through undifferentiated light now, when you get into undifferentiated light, and the, then you get into no right or wrong, now now you're into almost a non-theistic uh-huh, thing, you know. Sure. You know, so you're into consciousness, and that to me, that's what Shiva. The true meaning of Shiva is the consciousness of infinite goodness. You know, whether yeah. it be God, whether it be Shiva, whether it be Christ, Buddha, Allah, you know, whoever it might be. Um, it's again, like we were you we were talking about earlier with the tendrils, and like w- what kind of. Um, sadhana or practice people pick up it's it's true what you're saying and 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 it's really profound actually because the zen people find zen the buddhist people find buddha the krishna people find krishna and it's it's perfect it's a perfect moment that's to me such a beautiful expression of the divine you know that that the right people find the right places and when you when you try to force it it's impossible it just doesn't work you'll you'll burn out instantly Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. thank Mm -hmm. god yeah. Uh, well, you know, well said. And um, of course, you know, these things can be parsed. The The reason for talking about them is not to, A, disparage anybody or their perspective, no. but it is to, you know, to maybe heighten um, if there are underlying assumptions, underlying, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, fixations about how these things are working. So, you know, it, it. But to me, it's very interesting the way Buddhism evolved as a kind of, um, you know, very hardcore individual practice at first. It gravitated towards a more social, interactive uh, process, which is the Mahayana thing. And then the Buddhists, you know, clearly met up with the Mahasiddhas in India in the form of um, one of the great moments in the history of my lineage is Tilopa, who was a uh, kind of Mahasiddha style crazy yogi who supposedly did not have an earthbound teacher. You know, he was uh, directly inspired. Um, and then he meets up with Naropa, who's a Buddhist scholar, you know, and um, and uh, the dance between those two people actually charges up the canon for the ongoing lineage for hundreds and hundreds of years afterward. And the outcome a little bit later on is you have Vaj, you know, tantric monasticism, which is almost yeah. an oxymoron. You know? <laughs> right. Well, what so, you did, yeah. Yeah. What, what you just described is exactly the, my lineage. Mm. Um, our, our Sadhguru is a Mahasita whose name is Kodi Tataswami. He lived, um, they said, uh, many people say that he lived to be 300 years old in his, in his, uh, most recent, uh, body that was on this planet. Um, <laughs> He and he's part of the Tamil Nadu Sitas like Bokar or um, Agastir and um, um, Babaji, who's in the Kriya Yoga. Um, and my teacher is embodied by this the Kodi Tataswami. He comes into his body and he channels him, and that's how we receive a lot of our grace through through him. You know, and uh, so so. Um- Robert, have you sat there and witnessed this? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. I've I've had darshan with Tataswami many times through my teacher, and even going to his samadhi 
in in India and just being present where where he is, you know. And um, also some of the other um, samadhis in South India where I've where I've had these kind of uh, transmissions from the Sitas. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of um, you know, it's one thing to hear about these things, another to experience them. I think that's the only way you can really believe them. That's why I'm a little reluctant to talk about it, you know, yeah, but no, it is, because you said it, I, I needed to, uh, I definitely needed to follow up on that because it was like, you just explained your lineage and my lineage and how they were kind of these parallel, um, lines, you know, maybe at different times on the planet, but they seem to be on the same ley line, you know, through these Mahasiddhas who are the perfected ones on this planet. Hmm. You're, um, you know, the, the Shiva energy is magnetizing to me personally because when things come together, it's wonderful. When things stay together, it's wonderful. But when they come apart, there's almost the most, the greatest opportunity to really see the true nature of them. Wow, that's so, really well put. Yes, yeah. You know, because we do get attached along the way to the form that they take, right? Yeah, and... uh he, you know, like one of the names uh, of Shiva is Rudra, and yes. it's he he that takes away all suffering. And sometimes by taking away that suffering, it can be very difficult for people to experience because they're clinging onto it so hard. So sure. that they might they might experience suffering in the taking away of their suffering, maybe uh, holding on to a loved one too close or holding on to a material thing too close or job or whatever it might be. Um, any, any sense of identification, you know, once that's stripped from the person, they're able to really experience life in the truest, best form of themselves, but it takes a lot of uh, letting go, you know, you know, do, how does Narayana fit into that scheme of things? Narayana, uh, as Krishna, you know, as as far as I know him as as Lord Krishna um, or Vishnu, uh, he Narayana and Shiva have this kind of back and forth. Um, he who like Shiva is always worshiping Narayan. Narayan is always worshiping Shiva, uh-huh. um, and it's kind of like the two sides of the same coin. Um, like, and then Brahma is in the weird there's a very strange kind of relationship with the three in the forms of worship because there are no temples to Brahma because yeah, there's yeah. a curse to Brahma, you know? Oh. So what do you mean? It's uh, a, there's a curse to embodying the form too much or no. So the, the, the story is, can I tell the story? real Sure. Quick? Yeah, of course. Yes. Okay. So there was a, a column of light that came from the ground or it actually didn't, they didn't know where it came from. And Brahma and, and Vishnu are, are looking at this column of light. And Brahma was like, I created it. And Vishnu was like, I don't think he did because it's been it's been here the whole time. I'm not sure. <laughs> it, has, it has, you know, they're, they're kind of going back back and forth. Well, where does it end? Where does it start? So uh, Vishnu takes his the form of Varahi, which and digs into the ground to try to find the bottom of it. And uh, Brahma hops on his swan and goes uh, goes tries to find the top. And neither one can find a beginning or end. So Brahma thinks he's getting towards the top because he sees a flower falling. And he's like, oh, I must, I must have been near the top. And he asks the flower, where's the top of this column of light? And he's like, there is no end. you know. So he's like, well, I'm going to bring you down as proof that I found the top. Uh-huh. And he goes back down. Vishnu was like, I can't find the bottom of this thing. Uh, 
Brahma's like, I found the top. I brought this flower down from the top of, of the, uh, of the column of light. And Shiva comes out of the column of light and said, you're a liar. There is no beginning or end. Uh-huh. Light, light is infinite. Um, because you lied, you, no one will ever worship you in any kind of uh, ritual or temple. Um, and that's, that's the curse of Brahma. And then the wow. certain flower, I can't remember the name of the flower, but that certain flower is one of the only flowers that you will not be able to use in a puja. It's not, it's inauspicious. Wow. How, how <laughs> utterly cool. Yeah. So, Narayana, um, I was working on a record with Krishna Das, and I had a dream that we were in the studio working on it. And um, now, remember, I'm a Buddhist, so this is like, you know, more of my subconscious gossip is from the Buddhist tradition and so forth. However, I sometimes leap over or jump over into parallel tracks for a minute. So, in the dream, we're in the studio, and uh, we're working on the music, and then all this energy came into my body in the dream, and I kind of just felt completely uplifted and uh, literally um, levitated uh, up into the air, in a recording studio, mind you. And um, then this, I heard this voice, and it, and and it was we were working on Narayana. Was the uh, we worked on a huge production with like ninety six tracks of like vocals and instrumentals we just did like um you know really big production on it uh and the chant was around narayana and the voice said this i am the one who knows who i am i am the one who knows who i am didn't make any sense to me at all in the dream i had no precedent for why i would have said that or what the, the meaning of it was um but you know these energies we've connected with them and i'm sure uh, many, many lifetimes. And uh, because I have this connection with these friends and these dear ones, you know, KD and Ramdas and, and that whole, I call them my cousins, you know, they're like first cousins. Sometimes you get, you know, some feeling of the, of the, the, the deities. Krishna in particular, um, obviously comes through pretty strongly. And it's um, so beautiful you know, Robert, to hear you talk about this, it's really lovely. You you clearly have a strong connection with it, and um, something's coming alive when you're talking about it. I just want to share that with you. Oh, thank you. That, that's a huge compliment. And uh, Narayana, um, you know, like in, in many of these slokas, and like probably a lot, of, a lot of the mantras or whatever was in that song, a lot of them end in the last lines it will say he who chants this daily will receive peace in the three worlds, you know, and that mm-hmm. you, you've received a, a vision of Narayana in your dreams. And that's one of the threes, you know, waking, dreaming and deep sleep, mm-hmm. you know, those are the three worlds. And um, of course, with your practice and everything you're doing, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be charging up in all three of them. <laughs> yeah. I am the one who knows who I am. Doesn't really delineates oh, it, it undelineates subject and object you know that it just goes yeah, it starts to go into a, 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 a cycle you know um so this now you know the spirituality is so strongly an element in what you who you are and what you're doing I mean, this is it, you you would if you it just looks from here if you were not like a tattoo artist you'd be a priest of some kind that would be <laughs> my estimation of your you know manifestation so through it seems like you are being a priest through being a tattoo artist which is 
creativity and spirituality there. Those are kind of very interwoven for you, no? Yeah, priest and a clown too, you know? Like, <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant by saying that right. just a little bit, but like right. um, there is like this kind of karma aspect to it. And I see that in a lot of the spiritual techniques, especially in like a lot of the Native American traditions. They, they used clown and makeup and kind of things. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I see that, you know, uh, tattooing in America was kind of born out of the carnivals. And uh, I, I, I've, I've, I kind of, again, trying to use this kind of tantric approach and weaving all these things together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, the best way I can share uh, everything I'm experiencing uh, through my practice, you know. Yeah. And are you, how much of a connection are you making with the person? Do they come in for an interview first? How do you, how do, you do it? No, most of the time, uh, it's, I try to keep it as brief as possible in the consultation area just because mm-hmm. of time. And I think, you know, I kind of like let it kind of flow organically. Mm-hmm. And most of the conversation happens during the tattoo, which my average tattoo session is two to three hours. So um, most people like to talk while getting tattooed. I don't mind talking when tattooing. And if it's one of these uh, deities, then that's something that we might be talking about and it's a good opportunity. You know, some people get them, as you mentioned earlier, you know, with no connection at all to them, no cultural, no cultural connection. You know, they were born in the States or whatever and no uh, spiritual connection or uh, dharmic connection or sudden practice connection. They just like the way it looks. And people have asked me before, like, do you think that's disrespectful? You know, that someone might just get this thing, you know, it might be some sort of appropriation or something. And to me, no, I think it's the access. That's the access point. That might be the one thing Mm. that they, that could change their life drastically the way it's changed mine. You know, a picture of Krishna deeply moved me. The first picture, my first interaction with a, with a devotee, with a Krishna devotee, Hare Krishna, he gave me a sticker of uh, Lord Jagannath. You know him? Oh, yeah. He's the, the smiling one, you know? Yeah. And uh, the guy hit me. It was a, I was on the boardwalk here in New Jersey, like on the, on the ocean, you know, just like all the kids, like just like out of a movie, you know, like summer at the beach, hanging out with your friends on the boardwalk. And this guy comes up to me and he goes, you're under arrest. And uh-huh. I thought it was a narc. I thought it was a narc, you know? Wow. And uh, he hands me the Jagannath sticker and he said, for smiling. Uh-huh. And it and and it said it was Krishna as Jagannath and it said smile and uh, I said you know I just I just stopped eating uh, meat I became a vegetarian and uh, I know that the Hare Krishnas don't eat meat so then we started talking and he, it wound up he taught me the Maha Mantra that night the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra we chanted it on the beach together and I went to a temple a few weeks later and then this whole thing started cascading you know and that's what that was the jump up that was my access point. You know, but it was that image, that Jagannath that really took me. And I wrote about it a little bit in the book, but just that smiling face, the smiling face of God, mm. you know, like, uh, you know, he wasn't like an old man pointing his finger at you from the clouds. It's like this big, goofy kind of psychedelic mm. clown smiling at you, you know, and that smile is reflecting the goodness in you when you, when you really get down to it. Mm. And there's this beautiful chant I, I was listening this morning of when will Jagannath, when will I be in Jagannath's gaze? You know, because mm-hmm. he has the big eyes. Like, when when will he see me? You know, when mm-hmm. when I see when I see him. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I know they used to use that technique at Grateful Dead shows. <laughs> you're under arrest because it's oh, so yeah. disarming. You know, you're, yeah. of course, like, you know, you're at a dead show, probably a pocket full of uh, li- liquid LSD or something, and uh, all of a sudden, someone comes up to you and says, "You're under arrest." What a way to get your attention. Well, <laughs> as you may know or not know, I was at one Grateful Dead concert, <laughs> only one, but I was playing at it. Wow. And with Krishna Doster? No, no, this is way back. This is way before I knew Krishna Doster. But I had a band with um a bluegrass band with Jerry Garcia and David Grisman and uh Taj Mahal and uh wow. Richard Green. It was called the Great American Music Band. There you can you can find recordings of it, audio recordings of it online. Um the Great American String Band or Great American Music Band. And Jerry played banjo and I played guitar in it. Wow. Mid seventies. So we did, as that band opened a Grateful Dead concert in Santa Cruz, which was uh, 100,000 people. Uh, and um, it was a kind of unique experience, but it's the only time I ever was at a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> and uh, it was um, the interesting thing I was thinking. I don't know if you know who David Grisman is, the mandolin player. Yeah. You mm-hmm. remind me of him a little bit. That's what I was thinking oh. about 20 minutes ago. There's something about your energy that reminds me of David. Um, Dog is his nickname, Dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the unique and original mandolin players, you know, who took the bluegrass thing over into the kind of jazz and fusion-y area. Amazing um, player, yeah. Am- amazing. And, you know, kind of, um, um, that was a pretty seminal time for for me. Um, and yeah, I look back and I go, well, that was interesting. I, I was in a band with Jerry Garcia opening up for the Grateful Dead. And in a way, I, I never really meant to be there, if you know what I mean. It's like it just, I I, I made a record with Maria Mulder called Midnight at the Oasis. And I was floating around the West Coast. And I ended up, David Grissom was my friend from New York. And I ended up moving uh, up there to really, uh, I stayed at his house for a while and then I found a place to live. And we started that band together. Um, all by accident, 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 you know, and, um, no accident. Yeah. No, well, no accident. Come I, on. <laughs> I'm saying it with the tongue, tongue in cheek because it's not, not an accident not, either. That's I know exactly doing. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, you didn't plan to be in a band with those guys and do the thing. Yeah. But just the way you described the onset of your spiritual journey, you know, which was, uh, just bumping into somebody. I think this is a pretty common thread for most people. And when, when they ask, a lot of people ask, how do I get into something like this? Um, in a way, it comes to you better than you go to it, uh, if, that's, if that's orchestrated. Otherwise, people maybe, you know, try some different things, you know, try going to a concert or a workshop or a training or something and see how it fits. But there's more magic usually in, in this area where you, you kind of find your... Uh, a perfect example of this for me was Drunk Rimbache would just connect with people. He was hailing a cab in New York City, and Allen Ginsberg was hailing the same cab, and that's how they met. That's how Allen became his student. Um, and there's another story about Rimbache was in Boulder with his, um, uh, you know, small group of students at a cafe, and a guy just walked past the window, and Rimbache said, "Just go get him, go get that guy." And they brought him in, and it, that guy turned out to be the Dorje Lopon or the Master of Studies for Trunk Rimbache's community, you know. So, um, and myself, I just wandered into a yoga studio in Boston when I was uh, studying at Berkeley, and Trunk Rimbache was teaching a workshop there that that um, that weekend, you know. So, 
yours, you, your connection with India is pretty strong. It sounds like you have gone to India in the mode of looking for a connection. Is that right? Yeah. I, um, before COVID, I had traveled there each year for 10 years. Oh. Um, and, uh, oh. you know, I started pretty much on my own. I had met my, my teacher, my guru, um, but it, he wasn't in a position to take any students at the time. He's very, he's young. He's actually younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's his and name? Can we say? His name is, yeah, it's a uh, Rudra Abhishek. Okay. And he, uh, he, he had, had mentioned me places that I should visit, but I had, I started going there with him maybe about five or six years ago, maybe, yeah, about six years ago. And when we started traveling together, we, it was much more focused. We were doing a lot more sadhana. He knows all the places. He has the connect, you know, like he, he you know, he's as a, as much as a amazing teacher, he is a great uh, guide and um, he, he knows how to travel very, very well. So, um, but the first few years that I went, I just went by myself and, uh, you know, spent a lot of time in Varanasi and Vrindavan, um, those two places. And uh, th- I always wind up going back to Varanasi uh, anytime I travel there for at least a week, you know, just to see it because I'm so blown away by it. And what what's their reaction over there to your tattoos? Is there any, you know, because as you said earlier, there could be this feeling of like taking sacred imagery and putting it into a profane context. Some people would take issue with that, right? Yeah, um, I would say ninety nine percent of the time it's it's positive, you know, and uh-huh. uh, okay. yeah, and you know, uh, Indian folks love decoration. Uh, the best part for me with tattoos in India, there's not um, a, a pre conceptualized version of it the way it is here, like a certain person has a kind of tattoo, you know, a certain kind of person in America has a tattoo almost, you know, there's a lot right. of like this kind of stereotypical biker or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, sailor or a criminal, um, you know, and that's an old fashioned thing. Now everyone has tattoos, but it's still there, you know, it's still, it's always kind of under the, under the uh, rug there, that, mm-hmm. that, that kind of idea in India, no judgment at all. People just love tattoos when they see them. They they wow. love them. They love getting them. They're, you know, it's not it's not the same. You know, and they're uh-huh. not trying to. They're also not trying to align themselves with like a subculture of tattooing either. You know, it's just like to them, it's just another way of expressing. And like some of the, the coolest tattoos I saw were on old old Indian women that got them when they were like very young, and they just aged so cool. And they, they just you know it just told such a story seeing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I would say I've, I've, it's been rare that I've received any kind of negative attention. And also, if you travel there, you kind of realize that attention is something there. Like if someone's staring at you, it might not be like a mean thing. You know, at mm-hmm. first for me, it was disarming. Like they just, you know, they uh, look at you uh, for a longer time. You know, they, they don't avert mm-hmm. their eyes to you. You know, they, they study you. And, uh, that's, I think that's something really beautiful about the culture there. But mm-hmm. it, at first for me, like, you know, I was like, well, does this guy want to fight me? You know? And then uh-huh. also, be, <laughs> you know, just being like a, a tourist and being white and having tattoos and being tall and the, all, all the things, you know, just not common. So, you know, it might attract attention, you know, and differently than someone without tattoos, but for the most part, it's been positive. Um, what, what a, um, 
it sounds like talking about weaving that you're weaving those trips back into your experience here in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Yeah. And do yeah. You have, what what is your setup like? Uh, in, in, in there's some, do you have other tattoo artists working for you at this point? Have you built a cottage industry up out of this? A big industry? What what's this? What's the um, uh, business dimension of what you're doing? I have two business partners, and we've all been tattooing over 25 years. I've been tattooing 25 years. My other partner, 28, and the other one, 32 years. And we have about seven people that work for uh, yeah, seven tattooers that work for us. Wow. So there's 10 of us working. It's a pretty busy shop. Like it's in Asbury Park in downtown. Um, we all have our own clientele. And then in the summertime, we get a lot of tourism too. So, and what's a, the, what is it called? Shop. What's the name of the shop? Electric Tattoo. Electric Tattoo in Asbury Park, New Jersey. Well, can, can I just walk in there and say I want a tattoo right now? On a Saturday. <laughs> Only on <laughs> Saturday? Did, we, Saturday and Sundays, we do walk-ins. If you want one for me, it would have to be Saturday. Um, we do walk-ins when we can, but a lot of times we have appointments, especially now with the COVID schedule and stuff. We, we're doing more appointment work, but now we're, we're getting back into the walk-ins. And do people usually come in with a, a piece of artwork that they want, or do you provide that for them? How does that happen? For me, I'm in a unique situation where I get to do a lot of my own artwork, so um commissioned to do maybe certain things or people are picking out designs that I have pre-drawn. But many of the customers of the shop are bringing in their own stuff or just picking out stuff that we have. Is there a website for it? Um, Yeah, electrictattoonj.com. Okay, so people can go look and see if they they can tune into how to go about this if they go to the website and tells them how how to get on board. Yeah, definitely all the information that you need would be there. And are you prospering? Oh yeah, um, tattooing is a—it's an amazing business. You know, it's busy. It's—it's um, it's, popularity has grown exponentially since I started. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it used to be kind of more of a seasonal thing where you know you, you'd have enough local and regular clientele to get you through the year, but the summers were slammed. Now it's all year round. It's pretty pretty busy the whole time. Uh huh. So uh, from the point of view of creativity, spirituality, and making a buck, your livelihood and your creativity and your spirituality are pretty much in alignment to, uh, you know, it, it kind of makes you almost a, a uh, um, you know, a, a manifester as we describe it in, in the book. You know, you, you've aligned your, your expression, the artistic expression, your spiritual practice, which is very um, serious to you. It's obvious to anybody that this is not just you, not just dabbling in this and then you've created a, a business around it and um and the business is um uh, you can tell me if i'm wrong but it feels like it's very much in alignment with your core principles how the business is being run is that true 100 percent um i when i was younger i used to kind of compartmentalize those things mm-hmm. you know my spiritual beliefs and my work and my art and the, but uh, once i opened up to loving God and having uh, trying to bring consciousness into my life, I was able to open up to all three and realize that they weren't mutually exclusive. That it was one thing. And you can balance the three of them in such a way that uh, each one provides for the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they inform, you know, it's interesting how when um, if there's something unhealthy about the business, it's really, I, I, I talk about like acupuncture. 
like, for example, if I go to an acupuncturist and I say, my kid, you know, there's a pain here. They put a needle in my toe. And I go, right. oh, wait, no, I'm talking about over here. This is where it hurts, <laughs> you know. So that idea of like sometimes, and I talk about this in the book, that business problems are really spiritual problems in disguise. And sometimes, um, you know, uh, creativity problems are really spiritual problems in disguise. Um, you know, they, they, there's a kind of acupuncture-like diagram going on there. So, but I think this is a, a new, uh, it's a challenging proposition to achieve that level of integration, which is why I decided to address it. Uh, because there has been a tendency for centuries to isolate the spiritual and temporal domains, you know? Yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk about Hinduism in a way that is so integrated. I don't always hear that. It's like there's this whole other world here in which these deities are occupying, and it's very pure, and it does not have anything to do with your sense perceptions or your appetites in life or sexuality or food or, or uh, family or anything. You know, it's over here, and you want to transcend that to get to this. And then yeah. the other approach is the materialism thing is way, way off on its own. And just that, look, shut up. The point is go out and make a lot of money and uh, stop with this fairy tale stuff, you know. And so the idea of integrating them is just something that really attracted me from, from the early start of when I got into this stuff. It's like, what would the world look like in which there wasn't a spiritual temporal a diaspora going on, you know? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a really good point. I think about the rishis a lot mm. um, because they were all grihastas. They were all householders. They were all married. They weren't monks. Mm. And these are the ones that provided us with the greatest works. Uh, you know, everything that we chant, everything that we know, every kirtan, every bhajan is, is comes from the rishis. And, you know, they, they also had to live a life of a householder, you know, a married, you know, married and uh, going, through, you know, I think, and that to me, it's the ultimate way to put your practice into practice, you know, and your uh, through your life, you know, and, and live a life. You can go to a cave, but you might not, you might not ever get a chance to apply what you've learned in the cave. Mm -hmm. If you don't it's, leave. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is so, um, it's very encouraging for me personally to hear you talk this way, because frankly, this perspective is um, not, uh, as obvious as it might seem, it's not a common thread. And you do deal with people who are materialists and even to the extent that their outlook uh, about life itself is materialistic. And I mean, in the literal sense that the material is what there is, you know? Yeah. And then you have the spiritual people who go like, well, the material thing is, you know, uh, just a downgrade and you just don't worry about that. You pratyahara, you close off the sense gates, you, you become, uh, you know, pure, you become an ascetic. And, um, you know, when I studied with Trungpa Rinpoche, you know, he introduced this idea of these Shambhala teachings in which really it's Rishi training. So we've created this, um, you know, this portal called DharmaMoon.com, which Michael Cameras, our mutual friend, uh, works with me on and a lot of people are working on. And the whole idea is um, one of the things we say is when the sun of Dharma shines, the moon of Dharma reflects all that uh, brilliance in the form of culture, art, civilization, society. So that's the reflection, and that's what we call the Dharma Moon. And it's, um, so in those teachings, the way they come down, things like art and culture are really important. Whereas in the ascetic teachings, people say, oh no, that's just distraction through the realm of the senses. 
So it sounds like we really, and the Rishi portal, it's, it's just interesting. I, I, um, I've said before, this is Rishi training. I mean, junior Rishi training. I'm not talking about the big ones, but um, to learn how to master your entire world, integrate your world, uh, have your spiritual values reflected in how your shop runs. But it's really challenging. Oh, There's yeah. nowhere to hide. That's the battlefield. That's the Kurukshetta of the Bhagavad Gita. It's the it's the fight of uh, Durga when she's killing uh, Mahishasura. You know, it's, it, the the battle is always happening. That's why all the gods and all the saints and all the the Buddhas they all have their weapons and everything. It's like we, you know you have to you have to be vigilant. You have to. It takes effort. You know, and that I, I guess that's the best way I can say it is. It takes a lot of effort, but the, those efforts reap so much reward yeah and and are you a family person do you have your own family i'm married we don't have children um but it's me my wife megan and the dogs yeah sweet and you live right there in asbury park i'm in neptune uh the next town over which is even a cooler name yeah well so um well first of all thank you so much for sharing your world uh it's there's such a strong feeling of heart uh, Robert coming through it's uh, it's sort of unmistakable and um is there anything that you would want to you know let people know about um uh, any any famous last words before we have to close up like um any message or any you know thing you want to draw them towards or anything like that I'm not I'm not really uh nothing's I'm 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 first of all I'm honored and thank you for the kind words and I really this has been a great conversation I really I mean, what we're doing right now is such a huge part of what a spiritual life is, is discussion of spiritual topics, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, we, we use this word spiritual and it, it's just, it's just a discussion. Any discussion is a spiritual discussion between two people, you know, if you, if you um, love yourself enough to see it that way. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I'm just going to hold your book up again, uh, Deity. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so and it's uh, raking light projects. That's how you can look it up. Or, yeah, or, or yeah. I guess we could look for Robert Ryan on Instagram. That would be another way. Yeah, yeah, it's Robert Ryan three two three on Instagram. And then the website for the tattoo center again, electrictattoonj.com. All one word. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, th- a special shout out to Michael Cameras, who's we've decided a new title for him. It's Podkick. That's amazing. <laughs> He's my pod. I don't know if anybody has, I guess people have pod kicks, but it, it was part of the entertainment environment I grew up in. Um, you have the first actual as yeah. a as a as a term pod kick, which really is, wow. it, have, yeah. are we coining, coining a phrase? That's so I think you exciting. are coining a phrase. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, so I'm here good, for it. Yeah, good luck for everything that you're doing. Um, I hope that we can stay friends and stay in touch. I can't uh, wait to meet you in person. I'm sure we will. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. We well, have a few mutual friends and uh, we need to cross paths, you know? Yeah. And when, when the thing calms down a little bit, Michael and I will take a drive out to your shop, okay? Yeah. Come come uh, visit the Jersey Shore rock rock and roll mecca of Asbury Park. It's, it's something else. So um, be safe, be happy, be healthy, and, and uh, all the best to you. there you have it folks episode number 30 of the creativity spirituality and making a buck podcast with robert ryan that one was particularly fun for me you could say that both david and robert have 
left their mark on me. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's the outro monologue. It's two in the morning in New Jersey, and you know we improv a little more on the end here. There's you know there's a certain number of things that need to be said, but. First and foremost, thank you to Robert for joining us. Thank you to David for teaching. Thank you to everyone at the Be Here Now Network for all their hard work to continue Ram Dass's legacy and to continue just putting out so many great discussions and teachings around Dharma. Also, if you'd like to hear more discussions with Robert, who is really great at articulating Dharma and at being a compelling conversationalist, Uh, You can check him out on the Duncan Trussell podcast. I know there are many of the friends of this podcast who are also Dunkites, as David calls him. Uh, That was where I first was exposed to Robert. Also, if you'd like to see a little more about Robert's work, there's an amazing Vice documentary entitled Tattoo Age that features Robert. If you'd like to connect with us at Dharma Moon, our global online mindfulness platform head over to www.dharmamoon.com we always have lots of amazing programming if you'd like to study with david and connect with us in community every month we have an open community sit we have a foundations of mindfulness course that is also currently running and we have a lot of great webinars on wednesday nights we are starting to have mindfulness and webinars we have one on shamanism with alberto Villoldo, who was also on this podcast i think it was episode 18 you can just scroll down on the old spotify and then we also have one with pete holmes coming up so lots of great things and i think i'm running out of steam here so we should just call it i thanked everybody right did i thank you i said dharma moon i said go to the be here now network All right. How precious this human incarnation is. And if we part with anything, let's just take a moment to recollect the preciousness and impermanence of it all. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.